What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can follow our socials on Twitter at NotBoston. You can also follow our Facebook page, which is the uh, same name as the podcast. You should be able to find it okay there. You can uh, listen to us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. I'm uh, very much looking forward to uh, getting to today's episode. want to um, extend a quick, uh, again, a quick thank you to uh, my brother Tyler for uh, coming on the program last week, coming on to uh, Guest Friday. That was a lot of fun talking about the uh, trade deadline and the Celtics. So um, hope you guys uh, enjoyed that conversation. Uh, very excited about this week's guest. I'll let you guys know um, later this week. Um, does have something to do with the Super Bowl, so I will tell you that, but that is all I'm going to tell you. So uh, really looking forward to this week's guest, so hopefully you guys enjoy that as well. So uh, we are going to get right into it because there is a whole lot of stuff to get to. Uh, much like last week, there are a lot of different sports stuff going on, so um, be advised this probably will get very close to the 75 uh 75 minute mark and may actually be longer uh, just looking at the sheer volume of things um, that I wanted to get to this week but we are going to get to all of them so um, we'll get right into it we're going to lead with the Celtics this week I know that that is uh, something that I did not think I was going to be saying um, at this point in the season Um, but here we are the Celtics you know have uh one eight in a row, and they've played, you know, the, the, the way that I think a lot of us expected them to play uh, from the start of the season. And I think, you know, why it hasn't happened sooner, you know, I think that there are legitimate reasons as to why not. You know, I think that uh, health is something that has not always been on the Celtics side the last two plus years, um, that it's kind of uh, held this team back in terms of, you know, getting familiarity with a starting lineup having guys available every single night. This is really the first time in a couple years that you can remember where the Celtics have had eight, nine, ten games in a row where they've had the same guys available. So um, I think health has a lot to do with it, you know, with injuries, with COVID, you know, whatever it is. But I think that finally, you know, the coaches or or the players are really buying into what the coaches are, are, are selling. Um, really playing basketball the right way, you know, spreading the ball around, you know, high assist numbers, you know, efficient offense, defense that, you know, makes other teams work, um, I think is really kind of what the expectation was going to be at the beginning of the season. Obviously, it didn't really pan out that way. Um, But I think that you were seeing with this eight-game winning streak, the Celtics are getting back to the type of team that they were maybe a few years ago, maybe even pre-bubble in terms of the type of basketball that they're playing. And I think, yes, does this run have a little bit to do with some of the teams they're playing? Absolutely. You know, I think that that's legitimate. They have played some, you know, bottom feeder teams. You look at Detroit, you look at Orlando, you look at the the Pelicans, um, you know, a Magic or, excuse me, a Nets team that was, you know, barely an NBA squad that the Celtics beat last week. Um, But then, you know, that being said, the Celtics come into the weekend with two 
you know, kind of important games, you know, in the grand scheme of things, coming in to play a Denver Nuggets team while shorthanded still has, you know, one of the best player, if not the best player in the league um, in Nikola Jokic. Celtics were able to get a win in that game. And then the Celtics won yesterday afternoon against an Atlanta team that, you know, much like the Celtics have kind of underachieved this year. Um, but that was a game that I think the Celtics kind of needed to have. You know, I think when you look at the Eastern Conference standings and you look at just how closely compacted some of these teams are, you know, winning against opponents like that, it's huge, you know, because Atlanta's a team that's chasing you. Atlanta's a team that, you know, is chasing a playoff spot. And I think, you know, the Celtics are a team that getting wins against Eastern Conference opponents, you know, is huge. And they already have plenty. You know, I sent this to, to someone yesterday before the Super Bowl that the Celtics are 23-14 and 14 against Eastern Conference teams, you know, which is pretty good. You know, take a look at the standings in a moment. Um, but, you know, that's, I think, the best record against the Eastern Conference for, for any team this year or maybe any Eastern Conference team. So, you know, that tells you that the Celtics are, are winning games and I think winning games that are important you know, when you look at how close the, the standings are. So, you know, it's been refreshing to see this team play so well. And I honestly don't even think the opponents matter, to be perfectly honest. Um, but it's not like the Celtics have only played bad teams. You know, they started this streak with wins against the Heat and the Hornets, you know, two pretty solid teams. The Heat are the number one team in the Eastern Conference. And you know, the, the Hornets are another team that's going to be lurking for a playoff spot also. So I think stringing some wins together, stringing some really good defensive performances, I think the offense is, is getting there. You know, I think it's at their best. It's at its best when the ball is moving and the ball is moving side to side, that the ball is moving from one side of the floor to the other and they're not, you know, trapped in this isolation Sure, sometimes it happens that the Celtics get a little too stagnant. You know, I think you saw that for periods in the first half yesterday. Um, but I think for the most part, they're playing basketball the way that they should be playing basketball, the way that, you know, their team is constructed that when they pl are playing well and they're moving the ball and they're playing hard, you know, that's the type of team that they are. And that's a type of team that if they can play like that and play like that consistently in the playoffs, this is a team that has a chance to, you know, make a deep run. Now, I don't want to say, you know, oh, they could go to the NBA Finals, but you look at some of the teams in the Eastern Conference, specifically the top seeds, um, I don't feel super confident in some of those teams going forward. You know, a team like Chicago, who, you know, health has kind of been an issue for them all season. Um, you know, Cleveland's a team that they've been very good this season, but they're very young, you know, and they're very inexperienced. Um, you look at that Heat team, which is legitimately a very good Eastern Conference team, but I also think, you know, the Celtics are a pretty decent matchup against them. So I'd be very curious to see, you know, what continues to happen with this team. You know, do they continue to play at this clip? Do they go through some losing stretches? Do they kind of come back down to earth, so to speak? Um, the next two, three weeks, I think, are going to be very telling in terms of what this team really is. Um, but I think just going back to it, two good wins this weekend um, against two pretty fairly quality opponents. Um, got a huge game coming tomorrow night against the Philadelphia 76ers, um, who just pulled off a huge trade, James Harden. 
uh, coming to Philly. He arrived in Philly just the other day. Unclear whether he will play um, in this game on in, in this game tomorrow night. But you know, for the Celtics, it's just continuing to do what you're doing. You know, continue to be a hardworking defensive team that you know makes the other team work for offense. Look, you're playing Joel Embiid tomorrow, who quite possibly may be the MVP of the entire league, um, and he's going to get his. You know, he will get 20 to 30 points in this game. There's no way that the Celtics can, you know, hold him anything lower than that, which I think they kind of have to not come to terms with, but I think feel comfortable that, okay, he's going to get a lot of points. Um, But I think the biggest thing with him, and I think with really any superstar player, is you make that player work for their points. Um, And so I'm very curious to see, you know, how the Celtics mix their defensive matchups against... Uh, Joel Embiid, you know, do they stick with Robert Williams and Al Horford in the starting lineup? The guess is probably yes, considering how strong, you know, the starting five has been. You know, do the Celtics have Daniel Tice available? I think that that's going to be a really huge key for this game tomorrow night. Um, Tice, unfortunately, has not been able to play in either of these games, uh, either of these last two games, I think, because the uh, trade is still pending. Um, I believe that there might be something on Houston's side that might, there might be a player that may has maybe has not uh, reported to the team. That is all speculation, though. That's not anything founded, but I believe that that might be what the issue is. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Tice is made available. If he isn't, the Celtics can't afford to let Rob Williams or Al Horford get into, uh, get into foul trouble because they're pretty thin at the moment. Um, if Tice isn't available, if he is available, then I think it gives the Celtics a great opportunity to, you know, really switch up players that can guard Embiid. You know, I think is Horford going to take him? And I think historically he's done pretty well against Embiid. You have Rob Williams, you know, you maybe have Grant Williams and maybe a, a mismatch type of thing. You know, Grant, I think as much as there were concerns about him coming out of the draft, um, in terms of his size, I think that he's a guy who has played really tremendous basketball this season, you know, and I think is someone that is undersized, but he competes um, and competes really well. And I think you saw that at various points um, in both of these games this weekend that he, you know, had some block shots and did have some plays where he was, you know, really engaged and really a. Uh, you saw the competitiveness come out in him. Um, and I think, you know, he's another guy that you could throw on Embiid for, you know, a period. Um, I think the biggest thing with Embiid, and I think the biggest thing with some of these superstar players is, you know, mixing the defenders that spend time defending that particular player so that the player doesn't get comfortable, you know, against a certain matchup. Um, and then obviously if Tice is in the fold, you have another defender, you know, that you can throw at Embiid, who I think historically has done a pretty good job on him. So, you know, that's going to be the main focus for the Celtics. Um, the Sixers, you know, as I mentioned with uh, Tyler on the uh, on Guest Friday last week, the Sixers did lose a little bit um, in the trade. You know, Seth Curry going to Brooklyn, you know, Philly's down another shooter now, so... I think that there's less of a concern in terms of what Philly can do shooting the ball. I mean, obviously, if Harden's available, that is another shooter that you have to defend against. But I think 
the bigger thing with Harden is getting to the basket and trying to defend as best you can against him. I think for the Celtics, it's keeping things simple on offense. Um, and I think trying to move the ball, um, obviously, it's easy to get discouraged when you miss a lot of threes, which happened in the first half uh, yesterday. But I think the Celtics are a team that they kind of have to stick with it and kind of have to continually do the things that they're doing, even if shots aren't dropping. You know, And that doesn't mean that you, know, you miss... 10 three-pointers in the first half. It doesn't mean that, oh, you have to chalk up or you have to chalk up like 15 more and, oh, they'll happen to go in. But I think you want to play the same way, play with the same confidence. And even if shots aren't falling, you still want to look for, you know, good open shots. And I think especially for the Celtics and some of the issues they've had in terms of, you know, attacking the basket when there's a shot blocker, you just have to keep attacking. Um, and I think that that's a big thing for the Celtics tomorrow night is Embiid, yeah, he's a shot blocker. He's going to try to, you know, make some plays and be aggressive, but try to have him be over-aggressive. You know, I think you have to continually drive the basketball um, because when you do, good things happen. You drive the basketball, you get to the basket, you get layups, you get fouled, you get guys open looks for, for corner threes and things like that, I think. It's just driving the basketball, and I think it's continually doing those things over and over um, and just being really connected um, defensively, being really focused. And I think, you know, this is a good measuring stick game for the Celtics, even even if Harden isn't playing. Um, this is a team, this is a Philadelphia team that you very well may play in the playoffs, you know, if it comes down to it. And I think, you know, this is also a team that this is a very good team, and I think that this could you know, be a type of game if the Celtics win, the Eastern Conference should definitely be on notice, you know, if they aren't already uh, with how well this team is playing. So I'd be curious to see what happens tomorrow night in Philly games at 7.30 on TNT. Um, as much as, you know, Tyler and I really got uh, in-depth with the trades, I thought it would make sense for me just to kind of give final thoughts as to the, the moves that happened um, the Celtics obviously bringing in Daniel Tice, who has not played yet. Um, so it's kind of hard to kind of give a quick immediate reaction to the trade because, you know, he's not played. But we know what he brings. You know, we know how solid he was, especially toward the end of his Celtics career. You know, really became a solid, big, you know, defender, a really solid defender. Someone that, you know, came a long way in terms of his offensive game you know, has now become a player that can knock down occasional threes. You know, he can hit that elbow jumper. He can give you, you know, some kind of added stuff in his offensive game that he didn't really have when he first came to the league. Um, and he's always been a good, solid defender. You know, sure, he's always been a player that uh, has kept, catch the ire of uh, NBA officials. We're not really sure why, but it's good to have him back. And I think it's good to have a good defensive big. I think that, you know, it's, Great, the Celtics could get rid of Ennis Freedom. You know, I just think uh, as much as, you know, I think that there were players on the team that enjoyed having him on the team, um, Daniel Tice is just a tremendous upgrade, I think, in really everything. You know, he's a guy that is friendly with a good amount of the guys that are still on the team. You know, he's someone who's familiar in, in, in what his role is. You know, I know the head coach is different, but I think that the Celtics 
you know, are very familiar with this player and he's not going to be someone that's going to need, you know, playing time to like get used to a new system. He will need playing time to kind of get used to playing because it sounds like in Houston, he wasn't playing, you know, consistent minutes. So I think he will need to play minutes, but I think the Celtics know what they're going to expect from him. And I think that what he's going to give is, you know, what you would expect you would give. So, you know, I really like that move. They can get rid of Schroeder. They can give Peyton Pritchard, you know, some more consistent minutes, which will be good to see. Um, I think that there will be, you know, a process for him in terms of getting back to a player that he was maybe last season and for, you know, flashes this season with more of a regular role. So I think it's going to take him some time because he's not really played regular minutes this season. So I think that I'm very curious to see what he can do. Um, and then obviously the Derek White trade. You know, I know that there are a lot of people, um, specifically people that I know that I think were a little not really sure why they traded a first round pick, you know, and kind of unsure about how that's going to go. Um, and basically, I think for me, it comes down to you have a player in Derek White who's a good, solid NBA player. You know what you're going to get. He's going to be a good contributor. And I just think for this Celtics team, they kind of have spent too long bringing in younger players and hanging on to them and, you know, not maybe not properly developing guys, but then hanging on to them for too long. Um, and I think that for this Celtics team and the direction that they're going, you want to have a legitimate NBA player rather than an unknown first-round pick, you know, who likely is going to be a pick in the, you know, early to mid-20s. And I think as much as, sure, the NBA draft has always had players that have been good that have come out of the draft, I think especially in, you know, middle rounds and late rounds and things like that. But I just think the Celtics want to bring in a known commodity rather than an unknown because you don't know what you're going to get with a, you know, draft pick in the 20s. You know, and I also think Brad Stevens probably has done his homework that maybe he doesn't believe that this draft class is going to be very strong. And here's a player, Derek White, that you can use that's going to be a legitimate part of your team for the next three years or whatever, how many years he's under contract. You really have no idea what you're going to get from a rookie. And I think that, you know, the Celtics kind of have a spotty draft record in terms of developing some of those picks in that area. Not to say that they've had bad drafts because you can look at all these players that they've drafted that have become, you know, solid NBA players. They haven't hit on everyone. You know, that's kind of the case with every NBA team that drafts. But I think with Derek White, you're bringing in a known commodity, and he's already proven that he's going to be a pretty good help, you know, in these two wins. I think he played great um, in the win against Denver, knocked down a couple threes, a couple great passes. He played pretty well against Atlanta. Um, yesterday had a couple nice passes. Um, but he's a guy who I think just fits exactly with what the Celtics are trying to do. He gives them a ball handler, someone that can shoot, catch and shoot corner threes. And he's someone who is, you know, pretty close to an elite defender, you know, very similar to Marcus Smart. So I think you bring in someone that can do all three of those things and he's under contract. And so I think he's going to be a player that's going to stay here for a while. And I just think at the end of the day, that is the advantage to having him versus, you know, keeping a first round pick, you know, and keeping the guys on this roster. So like the trade, you know, really the only thing I didn't like was dealing Josh Richardson. 
um, just because he has played really well this year. And I think the guys liked him in the room and all that. But I think, you know, Derek White's a player who I think is going to give you a little bit more than Josh Richardson, you know, and is going to be able to, you know, play consistently in those late clutch minutes like he played the last two nights. So I think I, you know, really like the trades. Very curious to see uh, what Tice can do when he comes back. Um, and then, you know, obviously with the Celtics making these these trades, they have five open roster spots. Now they have filled, I think they have filled two or three of them, if I'm not mistaken, by bringing in Broderick Thomas and Sam Hauser um, on, you know, contracts that I think were converted from two-way to NBA contracts. They did sign uh, Luke Cornett to an NBA contract. He obviously played for the team for a couple games last year and most of the time this year he has spent in the G League, so he is now on the NBA roster, but the Celtics do have some open roster spots and uh, will be looking into the buyout market, um, and specifically in that arena, I think looking for shooting, you know, looking for some more shooting that you can bring off the bench, um, because obviously without Langford, without Richardson, you're losing a couple bodies. Um, so I think... The Celtics will be looking into the buyout markets of players that uh, will be most likely, you know, on bad teams that will be, you know, bought out of their contracts so that, you know, they can focus on playing younger players. Um, and so some of the guys that might come available, I think, could be, you know, a help to the Celtics. And not to say that, you know, you're going to see someone come in and be, you know, a 15-point-per-game scorer off the bench. But I think getting someone who can knock down the occasional corner three, play good defense, um, and maybe handle the ball. I mean, the Celtics, I don't think, are looking for anything more specific than just shooting the ball. Um, some candidates that their names have come up already, Ben McLemore, uh, who I think currently plays for the Lakers, although I really don't know what team he plays for. Don't quote me on that. Uh, DeAndre Bembry of the Nets. The Nets, obviously, you know, are a good team. They have lost 11 in a row, but I think, you know, once they're healthy and back, they will be fine. But I think uh, Bembry is a guy that you could see become available. He's a pretty good defender, more of a defender than a shooter, I think. Uh, Gary Harris is another name that's come up. He's in Orlando, uh, obviously formerly of the Nuggets. Has had some injuries um, and stuff go on the last couple of years, so not really sure what type of player he would be, but I think he's a guy who's known as a pretty good shooter. So the Celtics could look at someone like that um, if he indeed gets bought out by the Magic. Um, so I think what we'll do next, take a look at the NBA standings real quick. We'll swing back to the NBA for the uh, all-star stuff. So currently the Celtics, looking at their division standing, Celtics just two games back of the 76ers in the division. Um, in the Eastern Conference standings, the Celtics sit at sixth place. They are just above the play-in line um, ahead of the Raptors, who lost over the weekend, and then the Celtics won yesterday. So the Celtics have a half-game lead over the Raptors, and the Celtics are currently just four and a half games out of first place in the Eastern Conference, which is uh, kind of uh, kind of wild to say, you know, considering where this team was maybe just several weeks ago. Now they are you know, absolutely a team that I think could challenge for um, a higher spot. The Celtics, two games behind the Sixers, you know, as I mentioned. So that means this game tomorrow night is really big for the standings. If the Celtics can pick up a game 
on the Sixers, I think that could really go a long way. And, you know, I think solidifying a spot in the top six so they don't have to go into the play-in, you know, like they did last year. So the Nets, as I mentioned, are eighth in the Eastern Conference. Raptors are seventh. Uh, Hornets in ninth. Hawks in tenth. Celtics just beat them yesterday. Uh, Heat are still in first place, followed by the Bulls, the Cavaliers, the Bucks, and the Sixers. And then out west, Phoenix, four and a half games up on the Warriors for first place in the West. So I think that probably is going to be it for uh, talking about the Celtics. I think we will move on and talk about the Bruins. So uh, for the Celtics this week, two more games until the All-Star break. They will travel to Philly tomorrow, and then they will be hosting Detroit on Wednesday night, which will be their final game of the uh, first half of the season, or whatever you want to call it, uh, before they go off to the All-Star break. Jason Tatum will be going. Uh, We'll let you know what team he's on in a little bit. So now we'll turn our attention to the Bruins, and uh, it's been a wild week. Um, It's been absolutely insane. Um, I really will not sugarcoat it and say anything else it's been a wild wild week uh to be a Bruins fan um you know obviously two losses in which the Bruins did not play particularly well at all um Brad Marchand obviously getting suspended for his antics um at the end of the Pittsburgh game uh Patrice Bergeron obviously hurt himself in that game as well and Tukarask decided to hang it up after uh I think a pretty significant set setback um, in his, you know, comeback attempt. So the Bruins, you know, obviously had two kind of pretty bad games, you know, jumped out to a 2 nothing lead against Pittsburgh in that game last week. Uh, Pittsburgh scored four straight, took the win, and then the Hurricanes, you know, blow out the Bruins without Marchand, without Bergeron. Um, Bruins blown out by the Hurricanes 6 nothing and um, that's a team that is absolutely a Stanley Cup contender. I think if there were any concerns about that team, um, they absolutely should be silenced. You know, looking at how that team was able to, you know, thoroughly dismember the Bruins. Sorry for the graphic uh, phrase there, but it really kind of was a throttling, uh, a clinic, really, I think, in terms of, you know, just. Um, just relentless hockey, and I know that the Bruins did not have their full complement of players, so maybe it's not exactly fair to go that far, but the Bruins did not look like they were interested in playing in that game at all, and it kind of looked very similar uh, to the game a few weeks ago when they retired Willie O'Ree's number, and they come in and played, you know, one of the worst games I've seen them play in a very long time, and this was very close to it as well. Um, So, you know, naturally, two tough losses like that, and you know, Bruins Twitter wants to set it all on fire. People want to sell, sell, sell. Um, but it is, you know, and I will say that it is comical because, you know, the Bruins are the only team in the NHL that have not lost three straight games. You know, Bruins have lost two in a row plenty of times and people are ready to, you know, put up their pitchforks and, you know, say, oh, you know, Sweeney sucks. He's got to, you know, trade everyone. And it's just... I don't know. It's thing, Things are never as bad as they seem. And I know the Bruins played Ottawa Saturday, and, you know, that's not exactly a quality team, but it was pretty proud of 
you know, how the team responded still without Marchand and Bergeron. Um, had a really good, I think, workmanlike 2 nothing win. Uh, Trent Frederick, Curtis Lazar getting the goals. Uh, I have to say that bottom six was uh, really good. Um, or those two lines, I should say, because I think technically uh, Frederick Coyle and Craig Smith was the de facto second line in that game. Um, but then the fourth line was outstanding. Lazar, Bleed, and uh, Thomas Nosek. You know, I think people have their opinions about Anton Bleed, um, but he needs to be a regular in the lineup. I really, he does everything that you expect a fourth liner to do. He's fast, he's physical, you know, he can give you a little bit of offense. You know, not saying that you're expecting him to score every game, but he's a guy that can go hard to the net. He can be physical. He can kind of be that, you know, annoying pest, you know, kind of like Marshan, that he can be a guy that can be literally everywhere on the ice. Um, I thought he played a really excellent game on Saturday. So that was good to see the Bruins bouncing back. Jeremy Swayman played really well, uh, which was good to see after he had a tough loss against Pittsburgh. Um, earlier in the week. So that was nice to see him bounce back. Uh, Bruins got a really tough opponent uh, that they are traveling to as the Bruins start uh, or started their 10 games out of the next 11 on the road. Bruins will travel to MSG tomorrow night to play the Rangers. First time they've played the Rangers in quite a while. So I think that this is a game that, you know, is going to be very difficult, you know, is going to be very akin to the uh, Pittsburgh and Hurricane type of Pittsburgh and Carolina type of teams, you know, teams that are just relentless in what they can throw at you offensively. They have a really good goaltending, you know, pretty solid defense. So I think the Bruins obviously going to have their hands full um, in this game against the Rangers. Patrice Bergeron, I think, still remains day-to-day, -day, but I think there is a possibility he could play uh, tomorrow night, but it seems likely or likelier that he will play on Thursday on the island when the Bruins play the Islanders. Um so I think, obviously, a good bounce-back performance. The Bruins, I think, going against this Ranger team, you know, it, it starts with being good with the puck in your own zone, you know, and limiting the turnovers. And I think the Rangers are a team that, yeah, they'll take advantage of stuff like that. They will take advantage of their power play. So you got to stay disciplined. Um, very curious to see what the Bruins do with their lines. I know that there, you know, is quite a bit of conversation uh, prior to Thursday's game about the lineup and what that looks like. Um, you know, with the Bruins calling up Jack Stanika. And I think as much as people, I think, have their own opinions, and I have my own opinion, you know, about maybe what is best for him and best for his game, he's played really, really well, you know, in the two games that we've seen him play. I think that while he has not gotten on the score sheet, I think that he's looked like he has belonged and I think has played at a really good level. The problem with his game, I think, though, over the last couple of years is he's not been able to string together consistent performances. And I think his performance is going to be really important to watch on Tuesday uh, to see how he goes. Does he get, does he record a point? You know, who does he play with? I think at the end of the day, to me, and this is important, this is just my opinion, I don't think it matters who he plays with. Because I think at the end of the day, if you are, you know, a player trying to make an impression and trying to carve out a role for yourself, if you can play well in any situation with any players, that is going to get the notice of the coaching staff. Um, I think that we're getting a little bit too far ahead in terms of, you know, what's most important for Jack. And I think that as much as I think 
I don't want people to take this the wrong way when I say this, but I think that there are some people that selfishly want to see him play with the best players just so they can see what he does, just to see what he can do. I understand that the Bruins are in a situation where I think, or they're, they're in a situation where they really might not have any other options than to put him on that top-line center unit or to put him as the top-line center. But I think at the same time, the Bruins need to do what is smart and what is the what they think is the best thing to do to win games. Because at the end of the day, these next couple games that you're without Marchand and Bergeron, you need to do what's best to win. You should not be doing what's best for Jack Stanika. You have to be doing what's best for the hockey team. And what's best for the hockey team I think is to keep, you know, a trio of players, Eric Halla, Taylor Hall, and David Pasternak together because they've been playing well together. Now, maybe they've not been perfect the last couple games, but I think there's something to be said for keeping a group of players together that are playing well. Um, and I think there are some people that might think that the, the play of that line is due to Pasternak and Hall. I don't think that you're wrong necessarily, but I do think that you know, a line works when all three guys are, you know, doing their job and doing it well. And I think just just to go back to Stadnika, I think at the end of the day, if he is doing good things and he is developing good habits and the coaching staff is noticing that, that's what matters. I don't really think it matters who he's playing with. I think that some people are treating Stadnika being called up as a showcase, so to speak. And I think the problem with that is you know, and I'm not saying that people are thinking this, but the problem with that showcase idea is like you want to do what's best to win. Um, and I know I'm repeating myself, but it's like you have to do what's best to win. You have to do what is best for your hockey club, not what is best for an individual player. Um, and I just think, you know, when people say showcase, I think it's the idea that the Bruins are showing him at the NHL level so they might trade him. Not saying that that's definitely happening, but I think that there's a possibility that there are people thinking that, okay, he's getting called up so that teams can see him at the NHL level and they can see what type of player he is if he does get traded. And I think people have the problem with, okay, why is he playing with Nick Foligno? Why is he playing with Trent Frederick? You know, why is he playing with, why isn't he playing with more skilled players? And I hear it. I absolutely do. But again, you are out here to win games. You are not out here to do what is best for a particular player. You have to do what's best for the team. And the goal is to go out and win games. If you believe that, you know, putting Trent Frederick on the second line is going to help you win a hockey game, so be it. And look what happened. He scored 45 seconds into the game and they won. So, you know. But I think it's just it just kind of bothered me the way that some people were talking about, you know, this Stadnika call-up that, oh, you know, he should be playing with the top players and that's all that should be happening. And it's like, I, I guess, but at the same time, <laughs> he has to play in, in more than, he has to play with other players. Like, you can't just bring him up after not being with the Bruins for months and just throw him on the top line. You can't just do that. Like, the last time that Stadnika played before this call-up was December 16th against the Islanders. 
Now, if you don't remember that game, that was a game that probably should have been canceled by the NHL because the Bruins had 8, 9, 10, 11 players in the COVID protocol. That game should not have happened. So if we want to go back further than that, Studnika had not played an NHL game you know, since November. And it's just like, do we really think that it's the best thing to put him on the top line after not being in Boston for three months? But, you know, whatever. If it if it's all about Jack Stadnika, then I guess we should stop playing hockey. Um, I don't mean to get annoyed like that, but it just was like people are talking that way. And it's like you're here to win games. You're here to do what is best for the team. Um, speaking about what is not best for the team, uh, Brad Marchand, you know, gets himself suspended for uh, the actions at the end of the Pittsburgh game and, you know, gets hit with a six-game suspension, which I know that I tweeted and said that he's lucky it's not more games. What I meant by that is, or, no, that's not, that's not what I was, that's not what I was going to say. Um, I think at the time when he gets six games, I thought that, oh man, I lost my train of thought. Um, but whatever, I'll go back to that second thought that I had. So I think what I meant by that was, what I meant by the tweet was that, you know, he he, kn- he knew what he was doing and he knows his reputation. And I think that to get six games, honestly, may have been lenient. I think that the NHL really could have uh, made a, a huge example out of him. And look, he didn't injure Tristan Jari. You know, was their intent to injure? Probably not. But it's just, Brad has to know that he can't do things like that. Because that's the type of stuff that, in my opinion, it makes you look like a selfish player. It makes you look like a player who is going to become emotional um, in a situation that really honestly doesn't call for it. And you're going to put yourself in the line of fire of the Department of Player Safety, you're going to get them to look at something like that, and you're forcing them to make an example out of you. And I understand that Brad had not been suspended for a couple years, you know, prior to the three-game suspension, which I thought was excessive, um, against uh, Ekman Larson uh, from Vancouver a number of months ago. But it's like <laughs> getting suspended for this, you know, a second time, it does make you a repeat offender. And it's just like, look, some of the things that Brad was saying, I think after, um, or what he said maybe on, on Friday or Saturday or whatever it was, the comments that he made, is he necessarily wrong with some of the things that he's saying? No, I don't think so. You know, I think that, is it a little bit of an extreme punishment? Probably. You know, if it was any other player, you probably get a game, you probably get two. Um, I think that some of the things that he brought up absolutely are legitimate. But at the same time, you know what you're doing. You know what your reputation is. You know that the league is probably going to make an example out of you after you had already been suspended. It's just like people want to sit here and they want to critique, you know, what he did. That Okay, you know, punching the goalie and, you know, putting a stick up in the face. You know, the goalies are protected. There's no way that he could possibly, you know, do that much damage to the goalie. That's not the point. The point is Brad was selfish and put himself above the team and put the team in a situation where they have to pick up his slack. I don't care how remorseful he is, how much he says he's sorry, because it's like 
you have to know better. Um, you have to know better. And I don't want to do this, but, you know, Brad's a grown man. And you can't get that emotional on the ice. And it's just like, look, were all of his actions, you know, I'm not going to say that they were justified. Because if you look at that replay, Tristan Jari clearly tries to, you know, hurt Charlie Coyle with his stick, you know, when he swings it out. And I think that, that is what Brad responded to. Now, if you want to respond to that, that's fine, but you can't go about it that way. You can't punch the goalie. You can't, you know, do anything uh, to that extent. And it just, it's frustrating because, you know, Bergeron goes down earlier in that game. You know, does Brad know the severity of the injury? Probably not, but it's just like, you have to keep a cool head. Um, and he didn't. And it's really disappointing that this stuff continues to happen. Um, and I know it had been a long time, but it's just, you can't be doing things like that. And I honestly don't care about the appeal. I know that he's appealing the suspension. It probably isn't going to get rescinded. I guess I'd be very surprised. But, you know, we haven't heard any news on that. But I just think it's, uh, in a way, I think he kind of deserves it. You know, he deserves to sit for a number of games and um, really kind of have time to, to think about what he did and the position that he's put this team into. And I think a lot of us, it's very easy for us to look the other way, you know, as Bruins fans. But I think um, it's, it's, it's blatantly obvious that he has put himself in the position to be, you know, heavily scrutinized and rightfully so. And it's just... Uh, it's just frustrating that he doesn't really seem to get it. This stuff continues to happen. Um, and I know that he went years without a suspension, but there still were instances where he's doing stuff like that. And it's just, he's got to know better. You know, he's in his mid-30s. He has to understand that he is one of the, if not the most important player on this team. And to just act that way is just completely idiotic. Um, so he's got to know better. And I think... The suspension, I don't think, is going to change. I don't think it should change. Um, I think that he seriously has to, you know, figure something out because it's like if he gets suspended one more time for something like this, oh, it's going to be ugly. Like if he does something like this in the playoffs, he might get suspended the rest of the playoffs, you know. Not to say that if he does this exact same thing, but it's like if there's something that's similar to this, the league's going to be looking at you really closely. And it's just, that's the other thing. You know that the league is paying attention to you so closely. So why give them any reason to make an example out of you? So uh, the other big bit of Bruins news, you know, it kind of touched on Bergeron's um, injury that he hit uh, or had from a hit from Sidney Crosby, which I don't think there was any ill intent behind it. You know, I think Crosby makes contact with him. I don't think that he had vicious intent behind the hit because the two of them are, are friends. The two of them, I think, you know, played on a line in the Olympics. The two guys are, are friendly with each other. I don't think that there's anything, you know, bad about that hit. Um, the other bit of news, uh, Tuka Rask has decided to uh, retire from, from the NHL, from the Bruins, um, after a, a setback, I think, in his return from hip surgery and I think you know obviously it's uh Tuka has been a uh, lightning rod for um, criticism um, in this town for quite a long time um, a lot of it is undeserved um, I think that that's pretty obvious to say 
you know, if you really want to get into the specifics of, you know, did he blow this game, that game, whatever, I'm not going to have that conversation. But he's the best goalie in Bruins history, and it's not close. Um, you just look at the numbers that he has put up, you know, the longevity that he had, you know, and I think as much as, you know, the end of his career are kind of going to be remembered as riddled with injuries, he stayed healthy for almost the majority of his career. You can't really say that for Tim Thomas. You know, he was here for a couple of years, had a couple of elite seasons, but, you know, had an injury and kind of never was the same player after. So, you know, Tuca's a guy that pretty much start to finish was, no pun intended, um, you know, start to finish, he was a really good, you know, elite goaltender that it's like almost from this time that he started, you know, got his, you know, big moment to shine. You know, you think about the 2010 playoffs, he was one of the, if not the best goalie in that playoffs when you look at numbers. Um, and I think, you know, even to, to the end of his career, you know, you look at the Vezina. I don't think he won the Vesna, but I think it was in the top five in voting a couple of years ago. Um, was a guy that, you know, gave the Bruins chances to win on most nights. Um, you know, I think that statistics-wise, you know, he's clearly the best. I think that people would say, oh, you know, you can't be the best without a championship. Well, if you really want to do that, you know, then not a lot of goalies in the NHL are special. You know, you look at the... Um, the kind of era of goalies that he came out of with Carey Price, um, you know, Lundqvist, um, Jonathan Quick. I feel like there's one other player that I was thinking of, but it's like outside of Quick, no one else has won, you know, multiple championships or even won one. You know, Lundqvist made two finals. He never won. Carey Price has never won. So it's like, I don't know, to put it in perspective of championships, well, you know, then there should be a lot of numbers at TD Garden that should come down then for the Bruins. There are plenty of guys, you know, up there that didn't win championships if we're really going to do that. So um, should he get his number retired? Absolutely. You know, best goalie in franchise history. You should get your number retired. So, you know, whatever. People will debate about it, but it's like it's pretty hard to have a conversation with someone who doesn't believe that Tuka Rask has been an all-time goalie without, you know, realizing that they have some, you know, uh, bias, so to speak. So I think... You know, it tells you everything that, you know, the national writers, the national people respect Tuka Rask and think that he's an excellent all-time goalie. But people here obviously are too spoiled, so it's impossible to, you know, have a legitimate conversation with some of those people, you know, who don't already have a, you know, weird, biased, intense hatred for a guy who is, you know, honestly one of the nicest guys you know, in the city of Boston, you know, I don't know if people are on Twitter, um, but I noticed a very interesting story uh, from Pete Abraham that he tweeted about, and, you know, basically the story went like this. He was um, assigned to cover the Bruins playoff game, I think with the Red Sox, also in Toronto at that time. Um, and he worked a, the, a Bruins game, talked to Tuca, and, you know, he says that, you know, Tuca could tell that I was not a you know, hockey person and really didn't kind of know what he was doing. Um, but Tuca was really nice with him and, you know, even taught him some pointers about the game and about playing goalie. And it's just like, that tells you the type of person that Tuca was. And I think, you know, a guy that just gets way, way too much hate here. Um, and I think, 
did a lot of positive things here. You know, maybe he didn't win a championship, but he gave this team a chance to win almost every night he played um, and was a great guy in the community and, you know, should be remembered as a nice guy and a good guy. Um, so I think, you know, just say, just say thanks to for you know, all the, all the things he did. But I also will say that, you know, Ty Anderson, you know, tweeted something like this, that the Bruins have been pretty spoiled over the last 15 or so years with Tim Thomas and Tuka Rask. So, you know, not to say that the Bruins, Bruins fans should be preparing for, you know, bad goaltending, but at the same time, you know, I, much as I like Jeremy Swayman, you know, he's got a ways to go uh, before he can show that he is, you know, anything close uh, to what Tuka Rask was throughout his career. So, um, you know, obviously Toast to Tuka, hopefully retirement t- treats him well, uh, and we'll, you know, obviously see him at the Garden uh, at some point when he uh, gets his number retired. Um, so I think one last little Bruins thing, we'll take a look at the standings. Uh, we'll take a look at some um, NHL games and, and notes um, in a little bit. Uh, Bruins obviously still in that second wild card position um, with 57 points, four points back of uh, first place Washington or first place wild card team. Uh, the Bruins do have four games in hand on Washington, so the Bruins do could have a lot of ground to make up and possibly maybe even move up in the uh, wild card standings. You know, as much as Toronto has played really well, the Bruins are only six points behind them. So you know, if Toronto stumbles, the Bruins absolutely I think could still you know nudge their way into the Atlantic. Um, but I think more than likely it's going to be a wild card position for the Bruins. Um, when the playoffs come around, uh, the Bruins are seven points clear of Detroit, who is in third place, but the Bruins do have three games in hand on Detroit. So, you know, things look pretty comfortable right now for the Bruins. Uh, Pittsburgh is tops in the Metro, followed by Carolina and the Rangers. Rangers, obviously, Bruins' next opponent. Uh, the Rangers are a very good home team, 15-4-2. and two. Uh, so obviously taken points in 17 of their 21 home games, uh, but the Bruins are pretty good away from home, 12-6 and two, uh, one of the best records in the Eastern Conference. So Bruins in, with points in 14 of their 20 games on the road. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if Bergeron's available. If he's not, you know, does Stetnika get a look in a, on a different line? Be curious to see. Uh, Colorado still in first place out west in the Central Division followed by Minnesota and Nashville, and then Vegas still first in the Pacific, um, followed by Calgary and Los Angeles, the wildcard spots out west, St. Louis in the first position, and Anaheim in the second, with Dallas uh, three games behind that second wildcard spot. So I think that's going to do it for the Bruins. I think we're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Patriots. There's not a whole lot of news Um but there were a couple things that I think I wanted to address. Um, so obviously the Patriots bringing back Joe Judge as an offensive assistant um, doesn't look like the Patriots are going to bring in uh, Bill O'Brien to be their offensive coordinator. I think that might upset some people, but I think it kind of looks that way at this point um, that the Patriots will be just kind of doing things in kind of a, a brain trust type of thing. That's at least what I'm assuming is happening. Um, if the Patriots haven't hired anyone yet, but obviously offseason technically just started today. So 
you know, Patriots still have plenty of time uh, to figure things out. Um, but he will, Joe Judge will be back, you know, has experience being the Patriots wide receivers coach a couple of years ago before he went to coach the Giants. Um, but, you know, guys has experience in the organization, in the in a position group that is important to the Patriots. So I think that this is, you know, a solid move bringing in someone that understands what they're trying to do offensively. Obviously, I don't think that he's a, a Josh McDaniels, but I don't think it matters. You know, I think you have a good young quarterback. You have good things to build on from last year. So I think uh, be interesting to see what the offense looks like as we get close to, you know, start of preseason. Obviously, we'll pay attention to that um, in training camp. Um, I know that there are a lot of people, you know, specifically certain members of the media that I think are making a huge deal about the Patriots and uh, offensive coaches that are leaving or have left. Uh, Josh McDaniels, you know, kind of obvious name going to Vegas and then he obviously hired uh, Mick Lombardi who was the former Patriots wide receivers coach um, got hired as the offensive coordinator so I think that there are people that have some concerns in terms of their coaching and you know are concerned that the Patriots don't have a you know quote-unquote real defensive coordinator that there's not a you know, coach with this specific title. Um, and honestly, in my opinion, it's semantics. Um, I know that that probably is unpopular. I think probably a lot of people would agree with, would disagree with me, but, you know, I thought it was very interesting. Um, if you had seen on Twitter and you probably saw it because I've retweeted it, but Matthew Judon was, you know, asked about that during, uh, Super Bowl media week, you know, on Felger and Maz about whether the players are confused about who they're getting direction from, which in my opinion, um, and it's important because it's my opinion, remember again, but that is a really stupid question in my opinion. I think, as I said, you know, in the tweet, if the players know and understand, you know, what the right thing is that they're doing on a particular play, and they know what they're doing. Does it really matter who's giving, who's calling the shots? Does it really matter who the person is that says, okay, you have to, you know, do this per, for a particular play? The Patriots have Gerard Mayo. They have Steve Belichick. They have defensive coaches. And it's just as like, I think that there are people trying to make this unnecessarily difficult by trying to, you know, bait someone like Matt Judon into a question of, you know, isn't it confusing to have more than one, you know, coach? But it's like Matt Judon said, you know, they're with their position coaches. And, you know, ultimately you get your call from someone. But it's like at the end of the day, like, if the players know what they're supposed to do on a particular play or a particular series, like, that's what matters. It Like, it's at the end, at the end of the day, it's semantics. Like, you know, it's like for years the Patriots haven't named a official defensive coordinator like the years that Flores was here and he was the kind of de facto defensive coordinator like does the title really matter you know at the end of the day it's like I don't know it just is kind of silly to me um and I think that there's some of that feeding into the offense because people are like oh like you don't have an offensive coordinator well guys it's February so you know I think there's time for all of this to you know have time to, to gel. Um, 
I don't know. It's just people kind of getting hung up on things that honestly don't matter. Um, and I think that if people were concerned at the end of the year with how the defense played, I was definitely, you know, one of those people. But it, is, it was interesting that Matt Judon had said that um, there were some guys that were kind of going off scheme and trying to, you know, make big plays and trying to force things and go out of the scheme. And so maybe that was why they did not play particularly well on defense at the end of the year. Um, I think certain people are trying to make it out to be that, you know, you know, there's some type of like nepotism involved with Steve Belichick and that that's the only reason why he's, you know, given power to call plays or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's just, as I said, if the players know what they're doing, that's all that matters. Um, the players aren't getting confused, so we shouldn't. <laughs> at the end of the day, it's just as simple as that. Um, one last little bit of Patriots news. Richard Seymour, uh, it was announced that he has been elected into the Hall of Fame. Um, so they announced that class during the Super Bowl, actually pri uh, pre-game. Um, so he will be inducted during Hall of Fame weekend in August. So that will be a pretty neat thing. Richard Seymour, obviously a... Uh, big-time Patriot legend and, um, you know, meant a lot to a lot of people that I think grew up with, you know, including myself that grew up with, you know, the team winning Super Bowls, you know, at a young age. And he was, you know, one of those guys who was just a stalwart of those teams, you know, really an all-time uh, defensive line legend. So congratulations, Rich, and uh, we'll see you, you know, with, the, with, your, with your bust and uh, his speech. So, Looking forward to Hall of Fame weekend in August when he'll get his, uh, you know, name enshrined in there, which will be pretty cool. Um, so I think sticking with the football theme, we're going to now go into the kind of other stuff outside of the uh, New England teams. There's not really much to report on uh, with the Red Sox. So we will go into talking about the Super Bowl and a, re and a uh, recap of last night's game. Uh, good game. You know, I thought it was a good, solid game. I don't think it was anything wild. You know, I don't really think it was anything crazy that happened or maybe even anything that people didn't expect. Um, it was a close game. It was a good, solid game. Um, I think that obviously the big news in this game uh, was the Rams defense and Aaron Donald and how well he played in the second half of that game um, and really kind of put his fingerprints all over that game in the second half. I know that there are some people that thought that he should have won MVP. I mean, I think Cooper Cup was the right decision um, just based on the fact that the Rams really kind of struggled once OBJ left the game with a knee injury um, and Cup really was kind of the only reliable option. And he still was making plays, being double teamed and, you know, having all that extra attention on him. So I think he deserved MVP. I think some people, I think most people disagree with me, but... You know, I thought Donald was tremendous in the second half. I think really the only difference is he didn't play well in the first half, and that kind of is what kind of clinched it. If he only played well in one half of the game, it's like, you know, not to say that he's not a great player. I mean, he's an all-time player, but I think, you know, Cooper Cup was a little bit more deserving uh, for me, and I think it was a perfect encapsulation for his, for his season um, and just how dominant he was, so. Rams win it 23-20 with that game-winning drive that was uh, almost six minutes long. It was a pretty impressive drive by, by Stafford and company. I think that Stafford played pretty well, you know, had a couple of interceptions that were unfortunate. I think the 
one in the end zone that Jesse Bates had was not the best decision, but the other interception obviously went on the went off the hands of a receiver. So I think he played pretty well, and I think definitely you know with the Super Bowl win, you know, totally trashed the uh, narrative that he is not good in uh, in big games. You know that was kind of the the question coming into the playoffs, and you know he puts together three pretty good performances. Um, in those first three playoff games, it was pretty good last night. Um, Joe Burrow, you know, I think unfortunately, due to the offensive line not doing the best job, he kind of was under pressure the entire second half. And I think that was kind of one of the bigger issues going into this game that you thought, okay, you know, the Bengals offensive line played well against the Chiefs, but, you know, this L.A. team is is totally different in terms of what they can do rushing the passer with Aaron Donald and Von Miller, you know, two of the greatest defensive players, you know, I think of this era. So, you know, credit to the Bengals. I think they did about as well as you could expect, you know, Joe Burrow leading a team to the Super Bowl. But I just think uh, their offensive line just ultimately didn't hold up, and that kind of was the difference in the game. Um, So I think, you know, I think a tremendous win for the Rams, you know, a team that I think – really went all in to win the Super Bowl and, you know, was able to, they were able to come out with the win, you know, kind of was unfortunate that Odell Beckham, you know, played really well in that game uh, before the injury, you know, had to kind of celebrate with his team not being on the field. But I think, you know, he's a guy that I think at certain points is, or in certain ways, in in certain ways, he is misunderstood. Um, And I think it was, you know, part of me was happy to see him win and happy to see him, you know, get a championship after being in Cleveland and not having the best uh, success, you know, whether that was due to him or, you know, something else, you know, I think uh, it's good a good way for him to, to finish his kind of journey uh, over the last couple of years with a championship. So I'm going to be curious to see, you know, how serious that knee injury is, uh, because obviously he couldn't return. So I don't know. Does that affect his free agency? I'd be curious to see um, what happens for him next. Um, so I think, I think unless there's anything else that I can think of in terms of uh, the Super Bowl game, um, I think we'll move on. You know, Rams 23-20 uh, Super Bowl in L.A., so good win for them. So the uh, NFL season will start um, in August. So I think that's probably the last that we'll hear about the NFL or at least until free agency kicks off in about a month or so, and then we get the draft a couple, a little while after. So um, we'll definitely be in touch with you guys in terms of what the Patriots might do um, in free agency when that time gets closer. Um, so I think that's going to be it for Super Bowl recap. We'll move on, talk about the NBA All-Star Weekend. That game or that event is going on all next weekend. Um, in Cleveland, so we'll take a look at some of the All-Star events um, in the All-Star rosters for the game on Sunday. So we'll start Friday night. There is a new format for the Rising Stars Challenge. Um, I don't know if anyone watches the NBA All-Star Celebrity Game, but I guess we could take a look at that, which is Friday at 7 o'clock. Dominique Wilkins and uh, Bill Walton will be coaching each of the teams. Um just trying to look at some names that I might recognize. Um, Anderson Vergel will be playing for Bill Walton's team. Um, obviously, he was a former Cavalier 
Uh, Machine Gun Kelly will be playing in this game. Quavo will be playing in this game. Uh, for Dominique Wilkins, I guess the mayor of Cleveland is playing on his team, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, Miles Garrett will be playing. Uh, Daniel Booby Gibson, if you remember him from the Cavaliers back in the day. Uh, Jack Harlow is playing. Tiffany Haddish is playing for Team Dominique, so that will be, I guess, kind of interesting to see what happens. Um, so for the Rising Stars Challenge, obviously new format. Uh, there are four teams that will play a or will play in a three-game tournament, um, and I believe that it will be twenty-eight players on four teams, twelve rookies. 12 sophomores and four members of the NBA G League Ignite development, developmental squad. Um, the teams were drafted into four teams. And I'll take a look at some of the names here. And NBA Legends, uh, I believe NBA Legends Rick Barry, uh, Isaiah Thomas, Gary Payton, and James Worthy um, are coaching each of these teams. So we'll take a look at uh, each of these teams, Team Barry has Kate Cunningham, uh, Dyson Daniels from the G League Ignite, Evan Mobley from the Cavs, Isaac Okoro from the Cavs, Alperin Sing Singun from the Rockets, Jay Sean Tate from the Rockets, and Franz Wagner from the Magic. For Isaiah Thomas's team, Pre Precious Achua from the Raptors, Desmond Bain from the Grizzlies, Sadiq Bey from the Pistons, Anthony Edwards from the Timberwolves, Tyrese Halliburton now of the of the Pacers, uh, Jaden Hardy of the G League Ignite, and then Isaiah Stewart of the Pistons. For Gary Payton's team, Lamella Ball, Scotty Barnes, Ayo, Ayo DeSunmo from the Bulls, Chris Duarte from the Pacers, Scoot Henderson from the G League, Jaden McDaniels from the Timberwolves, and Davion Mitchell from the Kings. And then Cole Anthony, uh, or this is team team worthy. Uh, Cole Anthony, Marjan Beauchamp, I think is how you pronounce his name, Josh Giddy, Jalen Green, Herbert Jones, Tyrese Maxey, and Jalen Suggs. Um, so team Isaiah Thomas against team James Worthy will play in the first semifinal. Um, then team Rick Barry against team Gary Payton, those two teams will play. Um, and I believe that they are playing to a um, target score, I believe. And then there are, and then actually, I think that there's a clutch challenge going on also. Um, it's a timed competition. I'm not going to get into the uh, rules, but it's like a timed competition. Uh, four teams of two uh, from five spots in the floor, and they will be shots, I think, themed after players. So like Ray Allen, corner three. Reggie Miller, right wing, Damian Lillard from the logo, Magic Johnson, baby hook, Charles Barkley from top of the key. So that's how it will go. And then the teams are Desmond Bain and Tyrese Halliburton, Scotty Barnes and Chris Duarte, uh, Josh Giddy and Evan Mobley, and then Michael Foster Jr. and Fambo Zhang from the uh, G League Ignite. So that will be something kind of interesting to pay attention to. Um, so, and then the, so both of these are. Both of the events that I just listed are the events on Friday, and then on Saturday you have the um, skills competition, if you will. Um, the Taco Bell Skills Challenge, which is the, um, 
uh, you know, obstacle course type of things. There are, there is a new format for this that there will be three different teams that will compete in the skills challenge. Um, and I guess you compete for challenge points and the teams with the most of those points after the first three rounds will advance to the final. Um, and so here are the teams for this event. Uh, team Rooks, so team with rookie players, Scotty Barnes, Kate Cunningham, and Josh Giddy. And then there is Team Cavs, so teams with or team with three Cavaliers players, uh, Jared Allen, Darius Garland, and Evan Mobley. And then uh, Giannis and his brothers are going to be competing in this. So uh, you'll have Giannis, his brother, Thanasis, and then his brother, um, Alex Antetokounmpo's will play so that will be kind of interesting to watch that so that's uh the first event the skills challenge and then the second one three-point contest um the events are here are the guys in the event cj mccollum uh, trey young zach levine desmond bain carl anthony towns fred van vliet luke Kennard, and patty mills thought grant williams should have been in this but that's okay uh, be curious to see Zach Levine, I think, has some injury issues, so he may not compete in this, may not be in the All-Star game, but obviously keep you updated on that. So those are the three-point contenders. And then for the slam dunk contest, I'm actually pretty excited for this. you got a couple dunkers who are, uh, I think, pretty exciting players. Obi Toppin for the Knicks and Jalen Green from the Rockets. Uh, Cole Anthony from the Magic will also be in this and then Juan Toscano-Anderson from the Warriors. So those are all the events on Saturday. And then the game, obviously, uh, the 71st NBA All-Star Game, Sunday at 8. Take a look at the rosters for Team uh, Durant and Team LeBron. So obviously Kevin Durant is injured and will not play. So here are the players that he selected. Uh, Joel Embiid, John Morant, Jason Tatum, Andrew Wiggins, and Trey Young. Those will be his starters and then his reserves, LaMelo Ball, Devin Booker, Rudy Gobert, Zach Levine, Chris Middleton, Deontay Murray, Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, Draymond Green was selected but will not play because he's injured, so Deontay Murray takes his spot. Uh, for Team LeBron, he selected Giannis, Steph Curry, DeMar DeRozan, and Nikola Jokic for his starters for his reserves. Jimmy Butler, Luka Doncic. Darius Garland, James Harden, who uh, I think it was just announced he's not going to play. That's actually breaking news. Um, so there will be an injury replacement for Harden. Um, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, Fred Van Vliet. So there will definitely be a replacement on Team LeBron there. And then in terms of the Celtics, James Harden won't play tomorrow. So that is uh, interesting as he's still recovering from his hamstring injury. So... Uh, we will go to the rest of the, we will go into some notes about the NBA. Um, Zach Levine is expected to see a specialist for his knee. Uh, the Clippers, Norman Powell, is out indefinitely with a foot fracture. He unfortunately was just traded there, um, so he will be out for a while. Pat Connaughton of the Bucks will have surgery on his hand. Uh, Clay Thompson had probably his best game returning from injury the other night um, with 33 points. Warriors beat the Lakers. Um, so here are some games in the NBA tonight. You actually have plenty of games. Um, 
7 o'clock, the Pistons and the Wizards. 7.30, the Kings and the Nets, who have lost 11 in a row. Uh, the Thunder and the Knicks will play at 7.30. 8 o'clock on NBA TV, the Spurs and the Bulls will play. Um, also games at 8 o'clock, Portland and Milwaukee and Toronto and New Orleans. And then some later games at 9 o'clock, Orlando and Denver, Houston and Utah. And then 10.30 on NBA TV, the Golden State Warriors against the Clippers. So um, now we'll move on, take a look at some notes from around the NHL. There actually just was a trade, uh, which is a huge get for the Calgary Flames. Uh, Tyler Toffoli traded from the Canadians to the Flames. Montreal receiving Tyler Pitlick and Emile Heinemann, I think is how you say it. Uh, the Cana Canadians also received a first-round pick um, in this year's draft and then a fifth-round pick um, in 2023. If the pick is not in, if the 2022 pick is not in the top 10, the Flames will trade it. If it is, Calgary will have the option to instead trade its first-round pick in 2023 and a fourth-round pick in 2024. Um, so this is a big get for... Um, the Flames, Toffoli, obviously, has been on a Montreal team that's been awful. Uh, it's 26 points in 37 games. Uh, signed a four-year deal with Montreal um, in October of 2020. <clears throat> so, uh, Calgary gets a pretty good forward in Toffoli. Um, a guy who can play in pretty much any situation. Um Calgary has uh, just recently caught, or has has caught fire after having a cold stretch recently. But that's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty good trade for for Calgary. And then speaking of the Flames, Jacob Markstrom uh, leading the three stars of the week in the NHL. Patrick Laine, the second star, and then Nico Heischer, the third star. Um, so that's a pretty interesting trade. Uh, obviously, we'll keep you updated if the. Uh, Bruins are involved in any of these trades. Just some other notes. Sean Couturier of the Flyers is out for the season after having a successful back surgery. Um, Capo Caco for the Rangers is still going to be out at least another month. Um, Austin Watson was suspended two games for interference um, on the Bruins. Jack is Sean. He was hurt in the uh, Bruins win on Saturday. He did return to the game, so actually Sean did not really did not appear to suffer an injury, but the hit was uh, pretty ugly. Um, Watson only got two minutes for the penalty in that game. I thought the officiating actually in that game was pretty bad, um, but good to see that Department of Player Safety is doing doing their job. Um, so Watson will miss the next two. Brad Marchand obviously appealing his six-game suspension. Um, I think word for that might come down today, so uh, be advised. You might see that on Twitter. Um, and then some games tonight. You have four games on the NHL schedule. Uh, Detroit will travel to Minnesota at 8 o'clock. The Maple Leafs will make their first trip to Seattle at 9 o'clock. Chicago and Winnipeg also at 9. Um, and then the Oilers travel to San Jose to take on the Sharks at 10.30. Bruins next game, obviously, tomorrow night in New York. Madison Square Garden. So I think before we let you guys go, we'll give you some quick updates on the Bean Pot. The men's Bean Pot final is tonight. Boston University 
against Northeastern. Really looking forward to that game. I think uh, Northeastern is going for its fourth championship in a row. BU obviously has a lot of bean pot championships, so be curious to see how that game goes tonight. Game is at 7.30 on Nesson if you are interested. Um, and we will give you a quick update on Olympic hockey for both the U.S. men and the U.S. women. U.S. women actually winning earlier today um, against Finland in the semifinals, 4-1. to one. Uh, They had beaten, I think that they had just beaten Czech Republic um, in the quarterfinals. So they beat Czech Republic 4-1 to one, and then beat Finland 4-1 to one this morning. So uh, the U.S. will play Canada Wednesday night in the gold medal game for... Uh, for the women very much looking forward to this game obviously the two teams played um, a week ago with Canada winning four to two no one is surprised that they're meeting in the gold medal game uh, gear up because that's going to be a special game that game will be Wednesday night at 11 10 um, at night so if you're bold you stay up all night you stay up all night and watch that or you'd be a, a boring old person like me and tape it and then watch it later so uh, but either way, it's going to be a fantastic game. Uh, U.S.-Canada, best rivalry in hockey. I know that that might, uh, that might set some people off, but uh, this is an elite hockey rivalry, so I'm very much looking forward to seeing um, this game on Wednesday night. As for the men, the U.S. men won their group thanks to a couple of big wins against um, China, eight to nothing and then i feel like there was another game that they played oh it was the game they played against canada uh the u.s men beating canada uh, for the first time in 10 years four to two uh that game was on friday night so they beat canada four to two in their second preliminary round game and then played um yesterday i believe against germany and won three to two so team usa won all three of its preliminary round matchups they will play um opponent that is to be determined um, in the quarterfinals that will get underway on Tuesday night, um, so tomorrow night. So if you are done watching the Bruins and the Celtics, you can watch some USA men's hockey um, in the quarterfinals. Not sure who they're going to play yet, um, as I think there are games that are going to be, or I think Team USA technically gets a bye into the quarterfinals, and it will be whoever wins games that are taking place tonight. Uh, Slovakia and Germany, Denmark, Latvia, um, Czech Republic, Switzerland, and then Canada and China. So I believe these games will be happening tonight and then probably early tomorrow morning. So Team USA will figure out who they're playing. Um, so quarterfinals for them will be Tuesday night, and then I think the semifinals would be I think the semifinals would be maybe Thursday night, and then the championship game would be. Saturday night if I'm not mistaken I might be wrong on that but obviously you can check some other things so you know good stuff for the men and the women I think it's pretty exciting um, you have a men's team that had a pretty good preliminary round um, you know obviously with the men's tournament it's hard not having the NHL players but um, the the young guys are playing great for for Team USA and the you know ladies are obviously doing tremendously well I think that it was probably easy for them to have a letdown after a loss against Canada, but it's good to see that they have, you know, kind of regained some of that footing. So it'd be interesting to see how they match up with Canada 
um, in the gold medal game on Wednesday night. And then the men, a lot of local guys playing in that. So good stuff to see there. Um, and obviously you can find out who their opponent will be tomorrow night after the games tonight and tomorrow morning. Um, so before we let you guys go, uh, we're going to get to some college basketball, take a look at the uh, top 25 rankings. Um, there's a new number one. You know, it's not really a huge new number one. Gonzaga is back as the number one team in college basketball with Auburn losing um, to 23rd ranked Arkansas um, earlier last week. So Auburn just falls to two. Um, the top five, Gonzaga, Auburn, Arizona, Kentucky, and Purdue. Um, some teams that fell this week, Houston falling out of the top 10 to number 14. And then really, Dave are kind of really the only major falling, falling team um, in terms of the teams that rose, Villanova, into the top 10 after they were at number 15. USC jumps to 17 after a win against UCLA. And then Wyoming jumping into the top 25, as did Arkansas, thanks to their win against number one Auburn. Uh, Marquette is receiving the most votes uh, of teams that missed out on the top 25 poll, so they are pretty close. Uh, so Marquette actually was dropped in the rankings, but they still have the most votes. St. Mary's was dropped from the rankings after their loss to Gonzaga. Um, and then Xavier also dropped out of the top 25. Alabama actually is back in the top 25 after their win. Game tonight, Oklahoma State will play against Kansas. Kansas is sixth ranked. And then games on Tuesday night, Wake Forest against number nine, Duke. 10th ranked Villanova against eighth, eighth ranked Providence. Got a big East, a big, big East matchup there. Tuesday at 8 o'clock on CBS Sports Network. Uh, Providence has been a pretty good team this year, so uh, some exciting local hoops team that has done well. Um, Kentucky and Tennessee will play at 9 o'clock on ESPN. Kentucky, the fourth-ranked team in the country. Tennessee is 16th. And Wyoming and Arkansas play later games at 9 o'clock. Wyoming against University of New Mexico, and then Arkansas against Missouri. So you have a couple of ranked teams in action tomorrow night. So I think that's going to do it for podcast today. Um, obviously, a happy Valentine's Day to those of you who uh, choose to celebrate. And happy Valentine's Day to those of you that choose not to celebrate it, whatever you do. But um, uh, yeah, I just thought I'd do the classic you know, holiday thing because it's technically a holiday as much as people might refuse that. But um you know, very looking forward to uh, getting you guys uh, this guest Friday guest. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. Um, so uh, let me let me know how you guys like that. Um, you can let me know how you guys liked uh, last week's and the other episodes uh, of Guest Fridays. Really have had fun doing that. So um, if you, anyone's listening to this and ever, anyone ever wants to come on Guest Friday, you know, you can DM me, you can send me, you know, anything on any social media, um, and I'm sure that we could uh, work that out. So, as always, you can follow the socials of the podcast on Twitter and on Facebook. You can listen to us um, on Spotify and Apple Music. Um, always appreciate, you know, ratings and, you know, things of the like on Apple Music. Um, just lets me know how you guys like the show, and, you know, I can see in the 
in the download numbers that you know you guys enjoy listening so um, always appreciate feedback whether it is positive or constructive criticism i really am willing to you know listen to what what you guys say in terms of making this you know the best experience it can be so um that's going to be it for me we'll talk to you guys next on guest friday all right everyone have a good rest of your day